Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. All right. This is where I always get awkward because it's like I'm talking to the audience, (laughs) but they're not here. Okay. stage right okay (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody welcome to mental status my name is meg i am your host i am here with uh the very first person who ever asked to be on this show so i'm super excited to have them here today um i think we're gonna have a good conversation about burnout so special guest would you mind introducing yourself with who are you where are you and how are you doing today Yeah. Hi. So my name is Ashley Shambrello. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Connecticut. Um, I practice in central Connecticut right now. I do telehealth still because of the pandemic. Um, So I can see people wherever they are in Connecticut. Um, I'm also a brain spotting practitioner, which is a trauma treatment technique. Um, And how am I doing today? I'm doing okay so far. Um, it's been a rough emotional week. I, my only child is going to be starting school next week. So that's been an up and down roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Um, so just trying to kind of wrap my head around that and how I can take care of myself. Um, but today I haven't cried yet because of it. So I'm doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you're doing okay so far. And for listeners, it's nine in the morning. So Doing doing well so far at nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Having my coffee. I'm I'm doing okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean that stuff, like I'm I'm not a biological parent. I'm a step parent of a teenager. But I, I those life transitions where you know the kids start going through the stages, that's that's a, a staged process through for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like with the pandemic you know, my child has never been in like a daycare setting or anything, you know, he's only been with me and my husband and like grandparents. Yeah. And so, you know, with COVID too, I can't like walk him into the classroom. So I just have to drop him off at the Mm. school where 600 people go and just say, see you in seven hours. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It just goes against all of my mama instincts, but I know he'll feel okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, so much has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll just ask you that big starter question that I ask most folks. Um, what's your burnout story? Where, where have you been? So <clears throat> my burnout story, I was reflecting on this this morning and I feel like I didn't really get burnt out all that much um, until 
you know, like years into my practice, like a handful of years into my practice, um, when I was interning and when I was just starting off my private practice, my hours were everywhere. And I think reflecting on it, I'm like, how did I not get burnt out with such long days of seeing clients and, you know, late nights, early mornings, like, excuse me, networking events and just doing so much. But I think that I don't know. I was younger. <laughs> so it wasn't <laughs> yeah. in like pain. Right. <laughs> um, and it was just, I was so excited about it. Um, and then in 2017, um, I had a major back surgery that kind of set me back a little bit. And then I got pregnant. And then in 2018, I had my child. Um, and two days before that, I had lost my brother. So it was just like a huge emotional time for me. Mm-hmm. And I took off time from work um, as I was going to anyways with the my son's arrival. And I think jumping back into it, just being a new mom and trying to balance, like being with my son all day. And then when my husband gets home from work, like immediately giving him the child running upstairs or running to the office and working. And it was just so much, there wasn't Mm -hmm. a lot of time for like me to be me. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wore like the mom hat and then the therapist hat. And so I was just taking care of, you know, my clients or my child. Um, And so I think that's when my burnout really started was, you know, just a few years ago. Um, And then the pandemic hit, you know, Mm -hmm. so that kind of shifted things a little bit. Um, And the pandemic actually gave me more time for myself Mm -hmm. um, in a strange way. I don't really know how that happened, but um, (laughs) I remember meeting with my therapist and she was like, oh, so like the pandemic's been good for your self-care. <laughs> like, I mean, no, I feel guilty saying it, but like, I don't want this to stop. <laughs> like, yeah. With parts of it, you know, my husband was home more. So I got more time for myself without my child. Um, I didn't have to rush to the office. I was just upstairs in my office, you know, just a lot changed. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, my burnout now can just be on a daily so I can start mm. off refreshed like today. And then who knows what five o'clock is going to lead to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is something that I've noticed as well. Um, like burnout can be thought of as like this big, long thing where it takes months to get there. And then you reach this point where like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, you can't work and you're irritated mm-hmm. and you have to take time off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be, <clears throat> especially when you have several roles, mom, spouse, therapist, all this stuff, like that can be a daily thing mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. You're like, my brain is jello and yeah. it's not doing anything else today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, when we do talk about burnout and hear burnout, it is like that working hard for months or years or whatever. And then you just crash and you can't do anything. You're like paralyzed with burnout really. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that's not really been my, my thing. My thing is more, you know, just at the end of the day, when I'm sitting in my living room in silence, not watching TV, not on my phone, not listening to music, not reading, just like sitting. That's when I know (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm like, I can't take in any sensory things. Like 
I'm, I'm done for the day. Yeah. Yeah. That sitting in silence. Um, I can relate to that. <laughs> You're just like, I need nothing right now. Put me in a dark room and I'll be okay in about 30 to 45 minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Enough to like be able to talk maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So for you then, like, because yours is, is more of a daily thing for you where you find yourself maybe more in those states of um, exhaustion or sensory overload on the daily, what do you do on those days other than sit in silence to, to kind of keep yourself in a place where you can keep being a mom and keep being a spouse and a therapist and also just like, you know, live your life. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, luckily burnout is not a daily thing for me. Like it will Mm -hmm. come up, you know, it doesn't take a lot. Right. But I'm not burnt out most days of the week. And Mm -hmm. I think that what gets me through is knowing I, I take off days from work. Um, you know, I think owning my private practice, I work seven days a week, you know, and sometimes I do. And sometimes evenings and weekends are when clients are available. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm not seeing six clients on a Sunday, but even one or two, I, I then have to put on my therapist hat. Right. So mm-hmm. I make sure to block off days um, in advance. I'll just kind of look at the month. If I have something that I feel like I want the day off with, then I'll block it off. Or sometimes I'll just choose random ones. Um, And right, you know, in my office, I'm looking at it now. I have a calendar of the month and I X out the days. So when I'm feeling burnt out, I can just kind of look and say like, okay, I have a day coming. Um, Like today is one of those days. I took off the day for this and then I'm going to lunch with a friend. Um, So I definitely, I just, I plan things, I think in advance for me to Mm -hmm. look forward to um, so that it's not so like groundhog day. Like I wake up, take care of my kid, right? Like do those things and then work and repeat it all over again. Right. And I can imagine like, especially having that calendar in front of you as you're working, being able to see those red X marks and be like, okay, I have very intentionally said, this is not a day that I'm going Mm -hmm. to be working. Mm -hmm. Um, Even that visual cue seems like it would be helpful. Oh yeah. And you know, I think, and again, like I'm looking at it right now, I have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday blocked off and my son starts school Wednesday. So I took off the first two days so that I can I'm not going to be like present with my clients. I just know it. Um, And even yesterday I had a client ask for, you know, oh, do you have any availability Wednesday night or Thursday night? And I wanted to, Mm -hmm. um, but I just knew for myself that no, I I have to keep up that boundary because it's important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when I plan days off and then, you know, sometimes I'll slip in a client or so it's almost like I get resentful and I'm just like, oh, today was supposed to be my day. Right. Yes. That even one client, one hour is not a big commitment of the day, but it's just, it's important to me to make those times sacred for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. I mean, cause as you said, even if it is just for that one hour, you're having to put on mm-hmm. the different part of yourself that is the therapist, Ashley, as opposed to Ashley, who wants to chill out and Mm -hmm. like go to lunch with her friends and Mm -hmm. just, yeah. 
I get that. And I've had, I mean, so I'm early in private practice and I am definitely trying to navigate those types of things because it's like, oh, I do have that time available, but that would mean waking up early or staying late. Do I want to do it? I don't. Sometimes I'm able to say to myself, no, like that's blocked off. And sometimes I'm not. (laughs) And I, I definitely know that those are some of the times where I'm like, "Mm, I really wanted to not you know, have this time for a client, but yeah, I remember when I was early in private practice and my hours, um, so my office was like a half hour away and my hours were, you know, anywhere from like 9am I'll see a client until my last was usually around seven. And so, you know, sometimes I would have like a nine, 10, 11, a break, and then a two and then a break and then a five and a six. And you know, I think earlier on in my private practice, I was like, that's okay. You know, I'll take the breaks and I'll walk around the town center or whatever. Um, I would never do that now. <laughs> like that is too much for me. And I know that. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, when I'm looking at my schedule, even, and my clients are very flexible and I have some flexibility with it, but I try to schedule clients back to back so that mm-hmm. I'm not working all day. You know, if I have four or five, six clients, like there are four or five, six clients in the morning or in the evening. Um, so that I kind of, I try not to work all day long, um, or throughout the day. And with my son starting school, I've always worked evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, actually not always weekends, but always evenings. And this is the first time that I'm telling people like, no, my hours are Monday through Friday, nine 30 to two 30. Yeah. And it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll sprinkle in, I know I will like a couple of evening clients, um, but not many. And yeah, I, it's a new boundary for me and it's super uncomfortable. Um, sure. but I know that, you know, it's important to me and this is what I'm doing to help manage and prevent my burnout. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, the schedule that you described for your early days in private practice, uh, that reflects my schedule right now. (laughs) Like my work is about half an hour away. I usually get in by about 10 AM. And the last session that I start is usually it's, it starts at six, six 30, six 45. Um, and I, I work four days a week. So I've been telling myself like, it's okay. I'll have a few very long days and then a three-day weekend. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, I, I did that last year. Um, and this, it, that was the first year that I was living with my fiance. I was living with, you know, we had his son part-time, his son's in high school. They wake up at the ass crack of dawn. Yeah, they like, do. <laughs> my God. <laughs> so it's like, if, if I were living on my own, yeah, that would be okay for me. I would be tired, but be like, you know what? This is fine. But having that extra layer of, you know, I just started living with my fiance. We're trying to manage all this stuff. School is in season. My fiance is super exhausted because he's doing all the shit at home. Um, going into this school year, I'm like, do I actually want to do that? I know. Mm. It's hard. And I remember too, like in my earlier years too, and actually now I don't have standing appointments um, because I've found that just for my practice. um, Well, I mean, for me personally, I don't like knowing like 
Monday I'm doing this and seeing this client at nine and 10 and 11. I just don't, I don't know. I don't like that. I like Mm -hmm. to have things switch up. Um, And I found that, you know, when I keep a standing appointment for clients and then they don't show up now, I don't have anyone for it. And so mine's always been like first come first serve, which may or not may not be the best, but that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, those early days where you're in at like 10 and you're out at six 30, it's not, it wasn't at least for me always consistent that on Tuesdays I have, you know, a 12 one, it was a shit show. <laughs> like <laughs> I never knew what I was going to do. And I was like, I, you know, and it was too far away to go home, yeah. but you know, like that's a whole you know, hour. Just exactly. Driving. Exactly. And so it just wasn't worth it. And so, you know, sometimes I'd nap and sometimes I would just scroll social media. Sometimes I would think I was going to work out and I just want it. But you're literally describing, you're literally describing my days right now. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. They're hard. They were hard, but yeah. I don't know for some reason. I don't know. Maybe just, I don't remember. Right. Maybe I was burnt out like as all hell and it was just traumatic and I can't remember it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was just, it was different. Those days are long. Yeah. Yeah. All I can say is yes, they are. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I mean, I, I do have several people who have standing appointments. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've, I've had to learn over time to, primarily do that with folks who have been a little bit more consistent, whose, whose schedules maybe don't change as much and where that's a little bit easier for them. Cause you know, you're always going to have clients whose schedules are changing just like Mm -hmm. yours. So you work with them to find what fits. Um, so it, there has been like an ounce of stability in that with me for some of those clients who are regular and they're very communicative. So they do give me that advanced notice. If they're going to have to cancel, it's great. But I, I didn't even really have an official cancellation policy for myself until this summer when the summer slump happened. Uh, I was yeah. like, y'all, this is not, no. <laughs> this is not okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just getting through those, getting through those long days. And I, I, I feel like the story that I hear a lot is that for most people starting out, they do those long days. They work the long hours. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to get the, the hours for licensure for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that. you're taking clients that you're like, I don't even care. I just need the clients. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I need, I need to it. develop my skills. I need the yep. experience. I need the hours. I need it. Yeah. Um, and then over time, and I'm sure as, as mm-hmm. you have noticed, you start to learn who you work well with mm-hmm. that can help with burnout. If you actually, you find the client population that you gel with and you do really good work with, as opposed to the people who could probably benefit from someone else you yep. know, like spinning your wheels. Yep. So you sort of specialize a little bit there. You find the hours that work for you. Most people then say like, yep, that's when I went into private practice. And I'm like, <laughs> it makes so much sense to me, like doing the jobs that I've had as an associate while I'm working towards my independent license. It makes so much sense Yeah, that yeah. people would take that path. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I have so many colleagues and friends that have done a lot of like agency work. And Mm -hmm. I was listening to your last podcast with Victoria who did like Mm -hmm. the community mental health. And I, I mean, burnout is just rampant, right? Like it is rampant. And I've just talking with so many of my colleagues who's done a lot of that agency work. I mean, the hours are grueling. You're not 
Exactly. You don't get to pick, right? Like you don't really get to pick who you're working with a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is important that we work in the population that we work best with and then Mm -hmm. we do our best work and then we're our best selves. Right. Yeah. And ultimately those clients get the best care that they can get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking back even to my interning years and my early, early professional years of like, there were some clients who I can think of who would have worked so well with a different therapist. Mm -hmm. Oh (laughs) yeah. me. Oh yeah. I often like think back and I'm like, Oh, I wish I could send them a letter just being like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And now, and I do the brain spotting now. So like for trauma, but before, you know, I think we're all really like trauma therapists, right? Like everyone's a trauma therapist because we, we work with people and many people have trauma that they bring into the therapy rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't trauma trained. And so I had no idea what to do with this, you know, and I would refer out to like EMDR and different therapists that specialized in it. But I, you know, from the get go was working with a lot of people with trauma. And I remember once I got trained in brain spotting and had this like really good, effective healing tool that I'm super confident in it working. I just remember wanting to, you know, reach out to those clients being like, I'm so sorry, but I know I can help you now, but I'm really sorry that I had, I was treating you, you know, doing our best. We're doing our best, always doing our best. And I think showing up for clients, no matter what is most important, Um, but referring out for sure, you know, when we just we're just not the best fit. But I remember those early days, like, Mm -hmm. you know, trying not to refer out as much because, you know, we want to broaden our palette and we need to see who we work best with. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's an interesting mix for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I actually just this weekend, yesterday, I wrapped up my um, first weekend of two weekends training in EMDR. And like already I'm like, Oh my mm-hmm. God. There's so many people I can think of who I worked with before. I can do this with now. So yes. <laughs> it's um, nice being able to, you know, get those skills and the trainings and stuff yeah. and just having a groundwork. Cause I think too, when I was an early intern, it was just like, okay, now go counsel people. And I'm like, well, what the hell do I do? <laughs> like, yeah. I know the general, you know, counseling techniques, but how do I use it? And I remember specifically um, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, you know, wanting to do marriage therapy. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Before I got trained in the Gottman method. Oh God. It was, <laughs> it was atrocious. I don't know it was bad. Like for me and I think for the, the couples that I worked with and thankfully I didn't have that many, but mm-hmm. you know, I felt like a judge in a courtroom and people right. would argue and there was like, just, it was bad. Um, but I think it's important to get trained in like specific things now that I'm Gottman method. Oh, it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. So much easier. Right. Yeah. I actually, I've done some limited work with couples and I, I can relate to that too. Like a few couples where I feel like the relationship has been good with both parties. And so it may not be like top tier couples therapy. However, the relationship that I've had with them mm-hmm. and have built like in that room, like mm-hmm. it's been okay, but I'm not gotten trained. And I'm, I'm definitely starting to realize like, that's not my specialty at the moment. There may be a time where I want to be further trained in that. So I will be referring couples out now, you know, when I do private practice, that's yeah. just not 
not your it's thing. It's not my thing. Yeah. Nope. Absolutely. There's also EFT training um, that mm-hmm. is very uh, effective. But I think, you know, like working with couples, oh God, you have to have, right. you have to have a modality that you're following. Yeah. yeah. A lot of energy in the room. A lot of people trying to talk. (laughs) So much, so much. (laughs) Couples are hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that, like, kind of, like, I feel like all that ties back into burnout. So, like, if you are in those situations where you feel ill-equipped. Yes. um, Yes. That, like, that in and of itself. Yes. You know, clients may just be getting okay therapy. It may not be harming them, but it's not really pushing them where they need to go. Mm -hmm. But then like what I found for myself is I walk away thinking like, holy shit, I suck at this. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yes. 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 Why don't I know what to do? Yeah. I remember like leaving the couples counseling sessions that I would have. And there were like some golden ones, right? Even before Mm -hmm. I had like the Gottman method, there were some times that in my earlier years doing it, I was like, oh, wow, that went well, you know, like no screaming, no nothing. That was good. I taught Mm -hmm. them like an I statement intervention, you know, that was good. But I think most of the time being ill-equipped, I just left with like, what am I doing? Like, this is not for me. I, I honestly, I despised working with couples like and I would get them sometimes and I felt as a marriage and family therapist I almost like had to take them on Mm -hmm. um and I just didn't enjoy it and so yeah that would lead to burnout because it's not my ideal client I'm not doing my ideal work Mm -hmm. um now I'm not saying couples are my favorite um (laughs) but I can work with them and Mm -hmm. I do enjoy it and I do see sessions going much, much healthier and much smoother, which leads me to, you know, feel good about it. And Mm -hmm. so I think when we feel good about our work, um, it can make us feel a little bit better. Right. It's, it's hard having a bunch of hard sessions and also feeling like, what did I do? I didn't do enough or, you know, I could have, I wish I was trained in something else or, but when you feel good and you feel confident in what you're doing, I think it, it's just easier, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, after, you know, I'm, obviously I just took the one training in EMDR, so I'm by no means at all an expert in it. However, having that tool now, I'm like, now I feel so much more comfortable, mm-hmm. more so than I did even after reading The Body Keeps the Score and reading, mm-hmm. you know, all these other books about trauma treatment. Like I have something that I know can be useful instead yeah. of just talking. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like, especially being young, you know, new therapist in this, I've also felt like I need to get all the trainings. I need to know everything. Mm-hmm. And I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of gone to the other side of it too. Where I'm like, I'm going to sign up for this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and I need to do all of this stuff right now because I need to have something. And for me, that has still spoken to this lack feeling a lack of confidence and competence, which has also led to Mm. me burning out. Cause I'm like, I'm not feeling good about myself as a practitioner, especially earlier on, I'm trying to learn all this stuff. It's not getting solidified. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I can relate to that. I remember just going to so many trainings and you know, so many workshops and I just wanted it all. I wanted to know it all, but I think Mm -hmm. 
I think that, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I think that the pros are that you're, you know, more diverse. You can understand more like skill sets and more, more things, more clients. Um, but then I think, you know, focusing in on like the EMDR for a bit and just like really honing those skills, you know, it will maybe make you feel like, oh, okay. Like I got this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just being able to focus in and not feel like you're pulled in 20 directions, um, which, I mean, I've also found that's not, not only relegated to the realm of like trainings and modalities, but just like in general, in life as a therapist, not feeling like you're being pulled over here and over there and up there and down there, like professionally, personally. And I'm, I still found that to be a difficult balance to strike sometimes, Yeah, you know, because all the competing needs. Yeah. And what I just like thought of is when you were saying that I imagined myself like in my office chair in my old office. Um, cause I haven't been in my new office cause I got it right before the pandemic, uh-huh. <laughs> but <laughs> in my old office where I was for, you know, a handful of years, I just imagine myself sitting in my chair and having pieces of myself, like parts of myself, like up, down, left, right, like being pulled. And when that's happening, it's hard to just be like our true authentic selves for our clients and for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's hard to feel like whole when we're being pulled in all these directions. Yeah, it really, yeah. And it's, it's such a, um, I, I've just found it, it feels like a self-stigmatizing thing as well, because there's, there's some obvious stigma that happens within the field around like, you know, take care of yourself. You're going to hurt people. Like you got to get that under control you know, and then there's maybe some cultural stigma that is you're a therapist. You should know how to do this. Like, Mm -hmm. why, Mm -hmm. why are you upset? So that's all kind of like bearing down. You're feeling stretched thin. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not a comfortable thing to sit with. It's a lot of pressure. It is. It's a lot of pressure. Um, I think, you know, we, we talk about self-care and we talk about ways to like take care of ourselves and to prevent burnout with our clients. And then when we are, at least for myself, I feel like, why can I teach this? Why can I educate people on this? And then why do I suck at this sometimes? Like what is happening? And then it makes me feel like a a fraud, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Like I know exactly what to do and I'm not doing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how can I even like face my own clients and be like, wow, I'm actually very exhausted because I stayed up late scrolling on TikTok Mm last night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I think for me, at least when that guilt and that like, uh, fraud syndrome kind of comes up for me, I just remind myself that I'm human and no one's going to be perfect at this. And like, you know, yeah, we can teach people all of these things, but we're also holding the weight of the world on our shoulders right now. I think, you know, like I think at least in my practice with the pandemic, I mean, people are coming out of the woodworks. I have so many referrals more than I can take, you know, previous clients that have been okay, have come back. Like I can't mm-hmm. deal with all this stress. And I think that it's interesting too, because we're all going through it together 
together. And so when clients are talking about all of this, it's hard for me not to say like, yeah, girl, like I get it, you know, like, (laughs) Um, so, I mean, I think that we just try our hardest and I don't think there's any like preventing burnout. I think it's going to happen no matter what field we're in. And this is a heavy one. This Mm -hmm. is a heavy one. Mm -hmm. We take on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And taking on the weight of the world. So like as mental health providers, we take on the largely the emotional and mental weight of the world. And, you know, thinking of mm-hmm. um, nurses and doctors, mm-hmm. they're taking on the, the physical health weight mm-hmm. of the world. And then and they bring that to us in our yeah. office. So now yes. like, we're not only going through this like this, but then we're also hearing, you know, the trauma that they're enduring. So it, it's hard. Sometimes I wish I could just lock myself in a bubble and not hear about any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned um, prior to us kind of starting mm-hmm. the whole conversation, um, you know, that, that idea of self-care, which is obviously really widely promoted among mental health professionals as, <clears throat> you know, like this, this thing that we're supposed to do. Um, and I've, I've talked a little bit about how there's definitely an individual aspect and a systemic aspect to both of those things. Um, but you had mentioned that over the summer, you, you went on, I think I said it was a retreat or no, it was a, it was a group that you were part of. Yeah. I did a six week, I think it was six weeks, like virtual group. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a self-care for your mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting because I've never been a therapist in a, uh, in a group, like yeah. in a therapy setting. Right. Yep. So it was over, it was virtual. Um, there were four participants. I was one of them and it was held by the Revive center for wellness in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Shout out to them. Great, <laughs> great clinicians there. Um, but so it was, you know, the six weeks, I don't think I took on, took a ton of information in because again, like this is stuff that we know through and through. Um, but it was nice to even just take that one hour a week for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that I did learn though, which has stuck with me is, uh, they spoke about three levels of self-care. So there's micro mezzo and macro. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I know we spoke before about micro and that's something that we've heard a lot right so like drink your water take deep breaths and you know do little things um and then macro is those self-care things on those bigger levels so like retreats vacations um things that don't happen all that often but are pretty big um for self-care and then mezzo is one that i had never ever heard of Mm -hmm. um and i'm glad that i learned of it because i've shared it with clients and it's been helpful for them but so mezzo is like in the middle in the middle between you know, taking sips of water and going on vacation, like what are the things that you can do weekly or even just like a longer practice than taking a sip of water to take care of yourself? Um, so like some of my mesos that I do are therapy sessions with my own therapist, mm-hmm. um, trying to meditate most days. I think, you know, for me, that's a mezzo. Um, I haven't done this in a while, but on my son's first day of school, I booked myself a pedicure. Um, So like, I think, you know, those are things that we don't do, you know, 
lot throughout the day. And they're not things that we only schedule once a year, hopefully, mm-hmm. but they're things that, you know, we can make a little bit more regular. And yeah. I think that's where like the gold is with self-care. Right. Yeah. It's that, um, sustainable habits that you can build that help you regularly over time, rather than only being able to rely on like small in the moment stuff, which is very important, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're only doing this, the deep breaths and drinking water and stretching Mm -hmm. and then taking vacation when you're burnt Mm -hmm. the hell out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where do you lie in the middle? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I like, I think one thing that you mentioned, um, you know, during the, the pre-recording was part of mezzo could be, it's like a routine sort of thing. And what that brought to mind for me was something that I've heard of and I've tried and I haven't made it a routine yet, but I'd like to is like an end of day routine where Mm. you, you run through a sequence or a thought pattern or do something that tells your brain that the day is over. Like we're done. We're not coming back into the office to keep working. Um, one thing that I heard, I don't remember where I heard this or saw it, but I heard about early in the pandemic when people were working from home, like everybody, um, somebody talked about how I think it was their dad or their husband be working in his office all day. And once he was done, he would close everything out. He would go out to his car. He would drive around the block, Mm. come back and then walk and say, I'm home. And it's like, it sounds a little silly, but when you think about it, you're like, no, that's a, that's a reset. Yeah. Yeah. That transition time, that transition time is something that I've struggled with. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, you know, Oh God, I don't even know. This was a long time ago. I think when I was just starting, I was in therapy and I was like, Oh, I just feel like, you know, I'm rushing home. And then I walk in and I'm just, I wasn't like the nicest towards my boyfriend or fiance. I don't know what he was at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, and she had said like, you know, that transition time is important. And so she recommended, and this is what I got into the habit of doing is when I pulled into the driveway, I turned off my car and I like literally said to myself, okay, I'm done with work. I am home. Like Mm -hmm. it is time for me to leave work until my next work day. And I am home. And like just telling myself and like resetting it, I think it was important. Um, And I think something that I do need to get back to, too. Um, I'm not, I'm not that great at transitions. Yeah. I mean, like if you're not, if you haven't had the chance or the knowledge to be super intentional about it now that for a lot of us, we're still working from home, it's very easy to be like, well, I'm in my office and now Mm -hmm. I'm out in the kitchen or I'm in Mm -hmm. the living room. Um, so even like, even if you can't necessarily take a drive around the block or have those moments to yourself where you can say that, like, even thinking to yourself, like the moment I cross this threshold of the door, that's where I say I'm done. Or like Mm -hmm. I close the door, I'm done having even those. And that, that feels to me somewhat like it's, it's straddling the line between micro and mezzo because it is a small thing that you do, but then it's a routine that you keep up hopefully sustainably Mm -hmm. that kind of generalizes toward like, when you close this door, 
work stays in here. Like it's, yeah. it's not following you throughout the rest of the house, hopefully. Yeah. I actually love that because I, and I need to, I need to use that um, <laughs> because my office is upstairs at my house and yeah. I, in between clients, right. I might have like five, 10 minutes between clients. I like to go downstairs, like just walk, um, maybe get some water. Like sometimes I'm not doing anything. I just need to like leave my computer for a second and walk. But as soon as I go downstairs, if my son's here, I'm in like mom mode and he's like, can I have a snack? And can I do this? And blah, blah, blah. And it's hard for me because I still feel like I'm in work mode. Cause I have three more clients, but now I'm down here and I know I'll get like irritated, like very easily just more like on edge. Like, no, I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to be like mom mode right now. I'm not supposed to get you a snack. Like I'm still therapy mode. Um, and so, yeah, I think just kind of even just telling myself and being intentional, like, okay, I'm going to go downstairs. And if I'm mom for 10 minutes, I'm mom for 10 minutes. Like, and when mm-hmm. I come back up here, breathe and now I'm therapy, Ashley. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, you said intentionality and I think that that's important too with self-care because I think we're all like taking breaths. We're all hopefully drinking water. Like we're all, you know, doing the things that can be self-care, but when we're not intentional about it, it just doesn't feel the same. Right. Like, you know, if we just, zone out and on the couch in front of Netflix, like that can be self-care if Mm -hmm. it, you know, but it it also borders on like, Ooh, is this like an unhealthy habit? Right. Right. Yeah. There, it does seem to feel more patchwork if you're just like, you're, you're trying to piece together what you think is the right thing. And at times maybe that is all you can do. Like, especially if you are the type of clinician who works with, with clients who maybe are a little bit less stable or there's more crisis or just higher need in general that can really activate the Mm -hmm. clinician. Um, you know, and I think over time, a lot of clinicians can kind of learn how to, I don't know, it's called Mm co-regulation, like learn to manage that for themselves. But like, there's still those times where like you get activated, what you can do in those moments is that micro stuff that maybe feels more patchwork, but then also have like today, my goal is to drink nine Mm -hmm. glasses of water and Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk for 10 minutes and then I'm Mm going to do my routine. So it's all just kind of like, not that you have to plan it all out if that's not your style, but just like knowing what your intention is and how you're going to help yourself. Yeah. And I don't think planning is a terrible idea. You know, I think I like to plan, like I will put in my phone, even like little things like meditate or like read Mm -hmm. today. Right. If that's something that I feel like I want to do, um, for myself, I will put those in my phone. Um, but I think I, I won't get rigid with it. And I think that that's what is important too. When we plan that we don't like, Oh my God, if I don't do it, you know, then it's going to cause me stress. And I mean, I'm just not like that. If I don't get stuff done on my to-do list, I just move it towards the next day. Or if it keeps getting moved, I kind of ask myself, okay, why can't I do this in five days? Like, why does this keep getting moved? And maybe I need to reevaluate it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I always have stuff written down, just even just those little self-care moments. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, the days are busy and chaotic and it's nice to even just look and say, oh yeah, I told myself I would meditate for, you know, even just five minutes today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember doing that a lot when I was at my first 
um, postgraduate job doing uh, in-home therapy. Um, it took me a little bit, but after a while I would start scheduling in in the middle of the day, because a lot of the time I would have what would be considered a split shift, which is just, mm -hmm. so, it's so bad for your lots of stuff. Um, <laughs> so I'd have early morning clients and people who needed after work, after school. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be like, okay, I'm literally putting in my schedule gym and lunch. Like yep. I have to remind yep. myself, yep. I'm going to work out for an hour and a half and I'm going to go eat something. And then I've got sessions mm -hmm. and that would help the day feel less jagged. It would kind of push me in the direction that I knew I wanted to go in, in terms of self-care. And if, if I had a session that ran over yeah. or if I needed to catch up on paperwork or do a crisis yes. call, like that would kind of yes. feel a little like, ugh, this is my gym time, but yeah. scheduling it in it helped me remember that I wanted to do that instead of just being like, I have four open hours. I don't know what exactly. Do. And exactly. And what am I going to do when I just had three back-to-back -back crazy ass like sessions. And now I just want to sit and eat Taco Bell and like not do anything. Right. So like mm -hmm. it helps us, I think planning to take care of ourselves and like putting that into our calendars or into our notepads. I think it helps for accountability and it helps for like, Oh yeah, I said I would do that. You know? Um, but also just being compassionate with ourselves. And if we need something else, if, you know, we plan on gym and whatever, and we just want to go, we talk about in the park, like we listen to ourselves and we say, mm -hmm. okay, what do I need though today? Like, what is really going to help me? And, you know, hopefully it's the gym and sometimes it's not, and that's totally okay too. Right. Yeah. I think along that same line, what I, what I found most helpful is like several things. So being intentional, being able to be planful to a degree without being rigid about it. And knowing oh, that yes. if I yes. choose to make a different decision, like if I choose to not go to the gym and get Taco Bell, that is my decision. Yes. Not being like, well, I don't have time, even though like I set aside the time, like maybe it's more, I'm making the decision for myself right now to not stress about fitting in the gym because mm -hmm. I had a session run over. Mm -hmm. So my decision so I'm going to mm -hmm. sit in my car, eat Taco mm -hmm. Bell, listen mm -hmm. to a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think it's just checking in with ourselves and what we need. And I think that, you know, there's like this big, like hustle culture and well, I think that there's like conflicts between hustle culture and like rest culture. Right. And I mm -hmm. think that it's all about balance, but I think sometimes we get sucked into that hustle culture of like, we got to do this, this, and this, and we'll put self-care in there. And it just doesn't feel, I don't know, it doesn't feel right to have to do self-care is like a chore, you know? Yeah. And I think again, checking in and making sure what's best for us in that moment and that intentionality piece is right. that's, what's going to have that self-care piece, whatever it is, feel refreshing, mm -hmm. feel good. Mm -hmm. When it becomes like, uh, oh God, I have to do this again. No, you need to reevaluate that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why is it, is it that what you're doing doesn't actually align with what takes care of you? So it's mm -hmm. not a self-care action that is helpful. Um, is it that you are sandwiching your self-care in so tight with other things that it's like, oh my God, I have to rush to get this in and it's going to help. And if I don't like really mm -hmm be mindful in looking at how that looks for you. And if, if it really is like, I'm taking 10 minutes to read a chapter of a book between sessions, then that's, 
or maybe it's 10 minutes to do your notes so that you don't have to do notes at the end of the day. I struggle with that all the time. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh. And I think the self-care, like self-care, it's not what works for other people. I think sometimes, you know, there's kind of like a menu of self-care options that we can do. Right. And Mm -hmm. what we should do, like, oh, this is considered self-care. But if it drives you crazy, if you hate meditating, like, don't do it. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Don't do something that's going to burn you out more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been it's been an important lesson and it's, I think for a lot of people, one that they just have to learn over time, as much as I hate saying that it it feels really similar to like growing up when your parents would tell you, okay, don't do that thing because X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And you're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, sure. It's not going to happen to me. So part of this is like having some retrospective insight and be like, okay, past Megan, you need to actually slow the hell down. Um, And also knowing like the way that I've structured self-care now may not feel as genuine if I didn't figure out on my own what actually worked for me. And I'm, I'm still figuring it out, honestly. Like, yeah, you you describe those days, like, yeah, you know, so our self-care is going to change and we're, you know, our needs are going to change. And I think it's just kind of it's very adult of us to say, okay, like, what do I need right now? And listening to that and honoring that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially for those of us who, <clears throat> and I'm guessing this is a lot of us in the helping fields who have associated taking care of others with feeling good. It may be easy to see doing things for others as an appropriate form of self-care. And to, to some degrees, like it can mm-hmm. be. So volunteering for some people. Yeah is like a really beneficial way of getting out, doing something different, still helping, but like you feel good about it, but like, there's no, it's different than being a therapist. Mm -hmm. But there's also like, if you're constantly finding yourself doing self-care, that is also serving other people. Just look at that. As we would say, as we'd say in EMDR, like I'm official or anything, Mm -hmm. just notice that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. What does it mean that you taking care of yourself means taking care of other people. Yeah. I can't answer that for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I see that in so many people that I work with and colleagues. Um, and it's not a, it's not a judging or shaming thing. And for some people truly, honestly, maybe taking care of other people genuinely helps. Um but I would still have some questions about that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I do want to be mindful of the time. So just, I'm hoping we can maybe kind of like wrap up this whole conversation by giving, giving you the opportunity to, to speak kind of directly to the audience. Um, and usually what I ask people is like, if people were to walk away with, with something from this, if they're, if they're going to get like the idea or the sound bite um, from this particular conversation, what would you want people to know? What would you want them to think about in terms of burnout or self-care? Yeah. I, whoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what came up for me when you said that is 
you know, I hope people can listen to themselves and really honor their needs and their wants. Like even going back to when we were early in private practice, kind of working with so many different types of people and like not honoring that this doesn't feel amazing, you know? And I think we, we do things, we all do things us as humans. Um, cause we think we should, and it doesn't always, it's scary saying no, it really is scary saying no. And one of my favorite quotes that I always say to clients is, you know, just pay attention to when you're saying no. And when you're saying yes to people, because sometimes when you say yes to people, you're saying no to yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you say no to people, sometimes you're saying yes to yourself. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're all we have, you know, and we really have to take care of ourselves and do what really fills us with joy and purpose. And we have to be kind to ourselves. And I think just not being too afraid to say no to things because we feel like we should say yes. Mm -hmm. Kind of asking yourself, like, do I want to do this? Is this right for me? And if it's not a like, hell yes, (laughs) evaluating that and, you know, maybe saying no. Yeah. If it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. no. Yeah. It's a hell no. (laughs) It's a hell no. Absolutely. I feel like I've heard that that phrasing used in, um, in regard to relationships, but like being a therapist, it is relationship, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and doing for others or all that kind of stuff. It it's all relational. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, like if you're working with a client who you're saying like, maybe it's probably a no and that's okay. You can Mm -hmm. refer them to somebody who would be like, hell yes, this is my client. (laughs) There's clients and there's therapists for everyone. And I always tell, you know, people that, um, you know, when I even just phone calls, right. Like when I call a prospective client and I just really, you know, something in my gut is like, Ooh, this is not, it's not vibing with me. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to just say, I don't think I'm the best fit for you, but here are, you know, three names of people that might be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking of <clears throat> current clients who I, I really enjoy working with them. And I, you know, as with every client, I really want to see the best for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, am I at the level of competency and do I have the specialty and am I doing good work with them? Like I say, hell yes to them, but to the things that they're facing, I'm like, I don't know. So I'm thinking like, is, this might be the time for me to have that conversation with them around. I enjoy you and I want to work with you and see you well. And I think you may be better, better served by somebody else. And that, oh, yeah. that breaks my heart. <laughs> I know. I know. I know that feeling of like, yes. man, I really like working with this person. There's yeah. a really good relational connection, but they need something. Oh, it's so sad. I know. And it, it's hard to think about that because of like, how are they going to take that? Cause when I have, mm-hmm. I've had clients come to me, be like, my old therapist said they couldn't work with me. And I'm like, they probably said, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. They probably mm-hmm. said they didn't have the training or skills or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
but clients don't know that they don't know, know. all the decision-making that goes into that. It's I know like, it's just, they don't want to work with me. And then there's a huge abandonment and yeah, it's hard. Like, I know sometimes though, I will say so. And I don't, this isn't, you know, something that all clinicians believe is best practice, but there are definitely times, um, especially in the past, when like before I had that brain spotting background and before I had, you know, the trauma, like expertise, um, I would refer clients out for that trauma, but still they were allowed to see me. And I always gave it to them for like their option. Like, Hey, you can have a different therapist. Like if you want, if I think that they're going to be good with a DBT therapist or something like hook them up with that and then just allow them to make the choice of if it's too much, you don't have to continue seeing me. You can, you can come back after, you know, you get what you need from them. Maybe we'll be a better fit. Um, and I've had several clients that just, they got a lot from the relationship between them and me Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to lose that. And they would maybe decrease sessions with me and see someone else and work on like a specific thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, not, there's definitely plenty of therapists that don't believe that's best treatment. Um, and I think it's also important to have a good relationship with that referring clinician so that you can be on the same page, you know? Right. right. But yeah, it's hard when we really enjoy enjoy, you know, working and we're just not the best fit. It's hard. It's hard for us. And I'm sure for them too, but we're human. We are. Yeah. We can't be the best for everybody. Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. That was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. It filled my soul today. I feel ready to take on the day. I love conversations like this. So I really... I thank you for welcoming me into this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said, you were the very first person who reached out to be on the show. So I was just like, yay, finally get to talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I hope your your lunch goes well. Um, all that good stuff. Um, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, I would absolutely love to have you join the Mental Status Patreon community, which is now officially open. When you join Patreon, you'll get access to a supportive community of like-minded mental health professionals, where I will be offering a ton of high-quality, deeper-dive content related to burnout, with everything from patron-exclusive podcast episodes and monthly webinars, access to the mental status Facebook community, Q&A sessions, and more. To join the Patreon community, head on over to patreon.com slash mental status pod and pick the level of support that fits best for you. Again, that is patreon.com slash mental status pod. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves and I will see you again soon.